Hey, good evening. Are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. I hope I believe you You may be in the right place. This is Game of Drones presented by Sleep With Me, uh, the Game of Thrones podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it every Sunday, and we do it with an episode discussion, uh, and then a bunch of discussions afterwards. All you got to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. Now, if this is your first time here, I know Game of Thrones season premiere came out tonight, the same night as the episode. We'll be addressing that episode on our next episode, a week Sunday nights we're here. If it's your first time here, you might be wondering, how do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, how do we do it? What I'm going to do is create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain, whatever's chattering at you, whatever is talking to you, keeping you up, interrupting your, your, your being able to drift off to sleep. I'm going to distract you from that. Now tonight we're, we're, we're our schedule. You know this is the end of season three, episode ten. Strange, I know, not to be finishing up season four, but we did season four. So, but we're going to talk about Misa, and I'm I'm going to talk about the episode. I'm going to go into some details. I'm going to go on some asides and say, oh, you know, wondering about this. Make jokes about how much Rick and likes walnuts. Those are always in there. So I'll talk about the episode, then I'll talk about some stuff that came in the, up in the episode for me. Like, uh, you know, let's say there was waffles in this episode. There wasn't, but I'd say, oh, what are waffles? Frozen waffles, waffle irons, you know, what's the history? Who came up with a waffle? You know, was the pancake industry, you know, and then I might go on, wait a second, what's the yeast? There's yeast. And then there's baking soda and baking powder. They also make make bread rise or things rise, cakes rise. And I might look into that. And now, now the thing is, you're going to be lying in bed. You'll be kind of listening to me. But for some strange reason, you know, I don't dial it in. I research this stuff. I put a lot of effort into it. But you don't need to worry about that. The parts of you, the chatterbox parts of you that are either... That whatever they're on your case about to keep you up at night, they, for some reason those parts of your brain find me endlessly in, in, interesting. And they're going to be like, did that guy say baking powder and baking soda? Because I've always wondered about the difference between those two things. But that'll be a part of your brain that's usually like berating you. About something. I'm going to be like, hold on, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop berating you while I listen to this guy. And meanwhile, just like in a cartoon, you can put on your quiet socks and sneak into the other room, pull up the covers and go to sleep. And that part of your brain, let's just call it the irritation brain, uh, you know, with patent pending, has got its like two little fists under its chin and it's listening to me. Like, uh, you know, a child watching the TV for the first or second time. Or, you know, get to, you, you, you say you cut the cord and then you go to your grandparents' house and they have cable. Your kids are like, oh. so that's it. I distract you, but you're under no, uh, it's no offense taken. You fall asleep whenever you feel like it. I'm here to distract the other parts of you. You, you listen, but you'll say, well, baking soda. Is he going to talk about why it goes in the fridge? Because I was, well, I'm not that interested in that because I think it's just some scam. Does it really absorb odor? Do I need one in the freezer and refrigerator? Oh, wait, I'm asleep. Because who in the right mind would be riveted by that? But but if you can't sleep, you'll say, well, that was kind of interesting. And the other parts you, so that's what we do here. 
I distract you. You fall asleep. They, I call it a bore friendship. I'm your boyfriend. They come over. I talk. You fall asleep. We've been doing it for a while now. Game of Drones comes out on Sundays. We got other non-Game of Thrones episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have a you know main feed or we have a Game of Drones only feed. You can get us on the web, sleepwithmepodcast.com. For show notes, you can email me with any questions, comments, concerns, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Game of Drones only episodes are sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. On Twitter, at Dear Scooter, I'll post stuff there. On Facebook, we're on there. You can comment on the website. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're new here, welcome. I hope I help you fall asleep. This doesn't work for everybody. Uh, but the sliver of people who works for works for. And if you're struggling to get asleep, and let's say you don't even watch Game of Thrones, try this out. If it works for you, you know, this, you know that's great. If it doesn't work for you, I'm sorry, and I hope you find something that does. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. I hope you'll help you fall asleep. If you want to buy a pair of sleep phones... Or some other headphones, you can go to slash headphones. You buy those, it supports the podcast through Amazon affiliate link. If you want to support the podcast by just telling people about it, that's the best way to help. Just tell one person they can't sleep, see if the podcast is going to work for them, or tell another Game of Thrones fan who can't sleep, or that says, Oh, I, you know, I need, a, I need a Game of Thrones podcast that's not so enthralling. That's not riveting, as riveting as Game of Thrones. That's like if Game of Thrones is a 10 on the interesting, riveting, passion chart. I need something around uh, uh, 0.5. Here I am for, for you. Clocking it in. Charted by uh, radar radar and laser detection, 0.5 on the, uh, the passion scale. But my passion runs at a 10 to help you fall asleep. No joke about that. I'll finish up here. Why I've struggled to fall asleep a long time, long patches of insomnia. So I know the physical, emotional, and mental pain and misery it is to feel all alone, to feel like you're never going to fall asleep. So I said to myself, I like I like talking. Well, actually, I don't like talking, but I said, well, I like telling stories. I like uh, being curious about stuff. Maybe I can overcome my fear of talking and say, well, maybe this will help people fall asleep. Maybe, and it has worked for some people. So that's it. I hope, I hope it works for you. Thanks for being here. And, uh, you know, good night. I mean, hopefully you're already asleep, but I'll, I'll keep going for a while. Don't worry. Uh, uh, it's time for my grat- uh, gratitude time. Crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester. I don't know if we have anybody new here for for God's uh, new here for the new Game of Thrones season, but they might not know you. But I pray to the old gods of the new and the newest of the new gods. These are all earthly gods, not fan fiction gods, not fictional gods, uh, but gods. Anyway, but I'm praying to the gods for thankful to thank them for all the help I get on this podcast, all the support. I couldn't do it without the support of, uh, you know, you guys, uh, you know, the listeners. Starting with Chris Posty Posters and Chris Postal sounds like an earful podcast. Uh, you check it out. Uh, Scotty and Jennifer. Scotty swept up another piece of art for us. Game of Drones. Sleep with me to celebrate the new season. 
I got a ton of people to thank. I have one another apology cards. You know, I'm always apologizing. I apologize to Red Mailbox, Angela. I was going to meet them, and then my, you know, it was, it was I just couldn't coordinate that for a little, you know, coffee and cake or something like that. Listeners, uh, but, you know, one day I will meet them soon. I want to thank people for their letters. Emily, Pat, Fern, Naaman D., and the mysterious person from Santa Ana. Yeah, your your letter was postmarked from Santa Ana uh, for their their mysterious letter, too. Uh, thank you all. I want to thank some people from Reddit Gods. I know I tried to explain that to you once, and I couldn't do it, but I want to thank 321-GO-GO. Uh, that's a good, good That person has keep up the good work they do, you know. DC comic who may have been introduced to the podcast by three two one go go, and then Katha Akana Katha Akana. That's like kind of like rhymes with Hakuna Matata gods. Maybe we should Barky. I think you would like the movie Lion King. Um, there was something actually on Reddit about it this week too, Barky. So I get back to you, Katha Akana. I don't know if they listen. Uh, Neo Hippie, another Reddit user. Who reached out to me? You're so so kind and so 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 uplifting. Twitter, I want to say hi to Kathy and also the people in the hotel room next to Kathy in the uh, great country, the lovely country of Italy. Jake, uh, Jake, my info. Stephanie, I want to say uh, send healing vibes, gods, you know, to our buddy Jeremy who broke broke his leg. Uh, emails, vimsm, totally. Schwassum, totally Schwassum, a young, young man who uh, wants to help the podcast. So hopefully we'll figure something out for that. Carly, uh, good old Cisco Bunny, uh, Megany on Facebook, uh, Laura, Bonnie, Babs, Mitali, Julie C., Julie F., Dave, Richard on Facebook. If I, I may miss people. Uh, I want to thank uh, Stupid Bunny, who called Game of Drones the Valerian Steel Asleep podcast. And it's Ed Dolores, Ed Tolette is the guy. Uh, this is how bad my memory is, uh, Stupid Bunny. I had to look, I was like, well, who, how many, uh, I mess up so many people's names. But it's uh, Jon Snow's buddy that's uh, still with us. So hopefully, maybe. Uh, good question. Is is he still alive? I don't know. I'll find out. Uh, right, I'm finding out probably as you're listening to this. Finding out as you listen to this, maybe. I don't know if, it, if we'll have any nice walks. Hopefully, like to see, ideally, guys, if you can have anything happen at Game of Drones, I'd like to see Jon Snow and uh, Onion Knight solo. Or uh, with threesome with, I mean, not sexual threesome, a threesome scene with Stannis where they're, they're making fun of Stannis kind of behind his back. Not in a mean way, but, uh, you know, Jon Snow says, well, you know, blah, 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 something. And then the uh, Onion Knight says, oh, I've always wanted a pet wolf. I would name it a fuzzy bear. And then Stannis says something about how, you know, he never loved animals you know, or never saw the purpose of having love and pets or anything. And then they get a laugh out of that. I know it's a strange prayer, gods, when I'm supposed to be saying thank you, but it just came to me. Uh, regular iTunes reviews, DEM123 said, we'll definitely fall asleep. 
And DM was just, you know, says sometimes we don't want, they want to get to the point. And then they're like, oh, wait a second, he's not going to get to the point. So I think that's funny. That's hilarious. I love that review. Incredible by Lost Maramo. Marimo. Marimo? Uh, they say they could, you know, you could die from sleep deprivation after a few weeks. So they say we're a lifesaver. Thank you. I'm not sure, you know, I could take whatever, you know, thank you. Uh, not sure what this podcast is about. Nayavar, uh, that puts them to sleep in eight minutes. And then how, what can I say? It works by Heglaubach, Bach, H.G. Laubach, H.G. Laubach. It's like uh, H. G. Laubach. You should be an author. Uh, one part silly, one part soothing. H. Uh, G. Laubach. And then I want to thank uh, Linda Lee, uh, who gave us a nice uh, write-up in KCET, uh, which is a, a public, uh, which is a public station down in L.A. And Linda has a new book. It's Linda L. Y. Lee. Linda Lee. Uh, she's also has her blog, Garden Betty, but her new book just came out, the CSA Cookbook. And I'm going to reach out to Linda. Yeah, God, so I guess I forgot I was praying again, God. Sorry about that. Um, I was too excited to say, well, I'll see if this Linda Lee wants to do a uh, crossover because she has a new cookbook out for a real-time recipe. So we'll see about that. So that's it, God. Uh, thank you. Oh, one more thing. Well, I guess people would never mind, guys. I was going to say something, but uh, that's it. Uh, you know, thank you for your support, and I'll talk to you guys at the end of the show for, you know, my regular prayers. All right, so here we are with uh, se- the end of season three. By the time you hear this, uh, actually this should be scheduled for release at the moment, the East Coast uh Five, it should go out at five o'clock Eastern, right? No, five o'clock my time, yeah, which is eight o'clock East time. I'm not sure if Game of Thrones comes out at eight or nine, but yeah, Game of Thrones is this weekend. Uh, I still don't have a hundred percent way of watching, positive way of watching it. I think I'm going to do the Apple thing, but I just got to double check that I can also watch it on. I, I have um, a Mac Mini that I finally fixed. Uh, core du- core duo, not even core two duo. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, but so so Misa, so I can't wait. I mean, I know you guys probably can't wait either. Uh, I may um Monday, uh, I may Monday Tuesday or maybe a combination. I might do a little live um web uh, streaming thing with that Periscope web app or our phone app. Uh, you know, that way, people that can't do the meetup, uh, you may or may not see me. It depends on how much I can get clean. If I can get, like, a small area of my living room. It might not that's messy, but, yeah. And then, uh, like, I don't know. I might, I usually, for the rewatch. So what I'll probably do, my plan is watch the episode Sunday night, then rewatch it Monday, maybe half Monday, half Tuesday and do my notes. So maybe I'll live stream that, and maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but let's get to this episode. Season 3, episode 10, Misa. Starts out with Bruce Bolton. 
and he's walking past these fire pits. He's got his dagger. I think he's, like, cleaning it off or he's still holding it like it just happened last episode. And then he goes up on what I think are the ramparts, and he just looks down at the the slaughter going on of Rob's soldiers by his men and the fray men. And then we see the hound with Arya. And I think a nice little touch is like, oh, well, why would the hound and Arya be safe? Just as soon as your brain says that, the hound grabs a banner of the phrase and rides rides in this. Uh, everyone's making fun of Rob. And they do some mean stuff with Rob and his wolf and his king of the north, king of the wharf. And that scene with all that noise and stuff segues right into, is that segues into a sound of birds in the garden and Tyrion and Sansa are walking through the garden and he's making a list of these guys are snickering at him and he, he like says their names to himself and Sansa, oh, what are you, uh, Sansa says, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm making a list. And she said, what are people you going to take out? And he goes, what am I, Joffrey? He goes, no, I won't. I'm not going to take them out. I'm going to, you know, it was fear of death on the other hand. And she's like, well, you should ignore him. And he's like, people have been laughing at me longer. They've been laughing at you. And he says, I'm the half-man demon monkey, uh, the imp. And she says, well, I'm the disgraced daughter and of Ned Stark, and it's like the disgraced daughter and the demon monkey were perfect for each other. And then you get a look at Shay's face. She doesn't like this flirtiness. And then he's like, well, how should we punish them? And then uh, Sansa's like, well, my sister used to put a sheep poop and sew it into my mattress. And he's like, whoa, boy. And uh, she calls it sheep shift, which is, uh, I think they call it, what do they call it, scat around here. Um, but anyway, not important. Uh, so she's like, that'd be a good way, you know, because then your room will start to stink. You won't know where it's coming from. And then Padraig comes running and all the girls are giggling. Oh, that's the legendary lover pod. And, uh, he says, oh, you know, there's a meeting of the small council. Now we got a couple of big, big hitter scenes here. And this is one of them. And I, I apologize for overindulging in the, the dialogue here. But this is just one of these scenes. The next, I don't know how long it's seen, eight minutes. You could just watch this. Wonderful, wonderful acting. But it starts out with Joff. And Joff's look and his body language uh, is just so wonderful. He's so excited. And uh, Tyrion's like, would you kill some puppies today? He's like, come on, show them, show them. And then the bumbling maester tries to hand uh, something to uh, uh, what he scrolled to Tyrion. He drops it. And that's like a little riz- riddle. Rosalind caught a fat trout. Her brothers gave her a pair of wolf pelts for a wedding. Signed, Walder Frey. And that's what he's like, uh, is that bad poetry? And then it's like, Rob Stark is dead. Uh, and Joffrey, he's, uh, he, he can't even breathe. He's so excited. He's like short of breath. And he's almost like, almost like um, so excited about saying how all this bad stuff he's going to do. And uh, and he's like, well, I'm going to, you know, serve uh, all this bad stuff he's going to, how he's going to be mean to Sansa, you know, to rub this in. And uh, Tyrion's like, she's no longer yours to torment. And Joff's like, everyone is mine to torment. You'd be wise to remember that, you monster. 
And he says, well, I'm a monster. Maybe you should sleep to me, speak to me more softly. Monsters are dangerous, and just now kings are dying like flies. And then the blubbering monster's like, he should apologize. And then Jeff's like, I'm the king. I'll punish you. And then, boom, we get Charles Dance in the master, you know, it's like a Dinklage dance, dance off almost. And he's like, any man that has to say I'm a king, I'm the king is no king. Uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm the one that won the war for you. And then Jeff's like, my father won the war. He took out Rhaegar while you were hiding. And then Dance is like, the king is tired. See him to his chambers. Oh, I forgot when. Uh, Tyrion made one of his jokes. Uh, Varys had a little bit of a laugh there, which I thought was important. And then when uh, Joff says, like, uh, I'm the king, he says it and sprays it in Varys' face. And Varys is like, whoa, buddy, whoa. Say it, don't spray it, just like I said. And then Cersei's like, come on, let's go. You're, you know, we have to plan your wedding. And then Joff, he gets his, raises his finger and he's like, I'm not tired. It was just great acting, great, great acting. And uh, Tywin's like, you know, give him some nightshade to help him sleep, if you, you know, if you need to. And then Tyrion's like, well, you just sent the uh, second, you know, the most powerful man to bed without supper. And everyone leaves, and Tywin is, like, uh, glowing with his power, you know, his his power in some sense. And then, he, you know, he says this, you know, you, you, you're a fool if you think he's the most powerful man. And the crown doesn't give you power. And Tyrion's like, uh, no, I thought armies gave you power. But Rob Stark had one and he lost. He's like, but, you know, you got Walder Frey. You know, he might get the credit, but I know you were behind it. And he's like, well, do you want to prove? And he said, no, this is war. But it was a wedding, you know, you're not supposed to. And he says, this is an argument that's going to come up more than once. He's like, uh, why is it more noble to spend 10,000 men in battle than to just take out people at a dinner party? And Tyrion's like, oh, no, 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 you didn't do it to save lives. And he's like, yeah, I did, to end the war, to protect the family. He's like, go ahead and write a song about the dead Starks if you want to. I'm in this world a little while longer to defend the Lannisters, to defend my blood. And he's like, well, the Northerners aren't going to forget about this. He's like, good, let them remember. I took out all the Starks, Winterfell's in ruin. I got Roose Bolton up there. You know, you get the Stark girl pregnant, that's all I care about with you. And he's like, I'm not going to just, you know, he's like, I don't know. And he's like, should I explain to you how the world works with one lesson? And Tyrion's like, uh, yeah, you small words. I'm not as bright as you. And he says, the house that puts family first will always beat the houses that put its wishes, you know, of its kids first. You know, a good man puts his family first in front of his desires. And Tyrion's not having any of it. He's like, oh, no, that's a great lesson. Uh, but it's easy, when, you know, for you to say that when you're the one doing what you want, basically. He's like... uh when have you done anything that was for the family first and not for you first? And then, boom, he gets burned. He said, well, I let, you know, I kept, he goes, I want to get rid of you when you were born, and I let you live because you're a Lannister. And when he says the day you were born, Tyrion's eye quivers. I mean, talk about acting, man, Dinklage. 
Holy mackerel. Then Tyrion goes to try to talk to Sansa, but she's already knows. She's crying at the window. And then we have Bran and his crew. They're at the night fort. Hodor is checking out a well and echoes. That was pretty funny. Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. Bran's like, don't, don't. And they're like, should we get out of here? This is like a place with like ghost stories. And then Bran and Joji are like, well, we kind of like, let's tell some ghost stories. I love them. And Bran tells this story about the rat cook who was a cook in the Night's Watch. He was angry at the king. So he double-crossed the king's son, and the gods were so angry at this guy, they turned him into a rat uh, to live the rest of eternity as a rat here in the night fort. And they were like, for for double-cross and, you know, some other stuff he did, but they're like, for that? He's like, no, for killing a man who was a guest. You know, that's something the gods can't forgive, Bran says. And we're back at the Frey household, and they're cleaning up, and... Walder's there eating while they're cleaning up after the mess. And Roos is just there looking smooth. And Frey, he's got terrible self-esteem. He's like going through all the Tully's game, all these nicknames and didn't respect him. And then Roos is like, well, Blackfish got away. He's like, I don't, that means nothing to me. And he's still going on and on like a bitter old man. But Bolton's just kind of like, as you say, Walter, whatever. And then they're like, oh, you know, this arrogant wolf, let's drink to the young wolf. Oh, I have to go back. So he's just complaining. And uh, Roos says, well, as you say, any most, it must have been, you know, torture walking around with that guy. And he said, Roos's like, well, he had ignored my advice at every turn. And uh, Frey says, uh, here's the young wolf. And Roos, as much as I loathe him, rue him, he says, Eh, forever young is very, very amusing, uh, his, his villainy, I guess. And he also, I, oh, it, it, the last reveal there is that Ramsey is his son, his bastard boy, Ramsey Snow. So then we go up there and Ramsey's talking about, uh, Theon's unit and he's trying to, he's like, he says that he's trying to break, finally finish breaking Theon's spirit. And talking about phantom limbs, he's eating a pork sausage with mustard on it. And he says, you're not a lord, you're, you know, you're a piece of meat and you reek. And he goes, that's what I'm going to call you from now on, reek. And finally he breaks the end of, uh, you're not Theon Greyjoy anymore, you're reek. And Theon finally agrees to it. And then we're back at the night forward and Hodor's like, what? And then we hear footsteps, it's like, is it the Rat King ghost or what? And then Sam, like, stumbles in the room, and Gilly's there. And they're like, who are you? He's like, I'm Sam. I'm Sam. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the, you know, and Sam does, like, a Sherlock Holmes move where he starts deducing stuff. He's like, uh, oh, your brother, because Bran's like, my brother's a knight. Oh, never mind. And he's like, oh, wait a second. Let's see. Uh, okay, you, you can't walk. You got a wolf. You, do you have a bratty brother who loves walnuts? Okay, you're Bran. And he's, oh, no, I'm not. He's, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the Sherlock Holmes of the Night Watch. So he's like, oh, this is Hodor here, correct? He goes, this is Hodor. You know, I, I know, I know. And he's like, let me help you guys. And then we see outside of uh, Pike, I think, and Braylon Greyjoy and his daughter are there. 
And he's like, Theang, you know, it was a fool. And she's like, she's not having one bit of it. He's like, he got what he deserved. I'm not giving up. You know, Roos is, Roos is like, you know, recall your men or I'm taking you out. And he's like, he's not a son. He's not a man anymore. And she's like, he's my brother. He's my great, you know, he's a great joy. And he's like, watch yourself. I already made a decision. She's like, I made mine. I'm going to take the best ship in the fleet, the best men. And then you see her on this uh, boat with all these badass dudes, and she's the leader. And she's like, I'm going up, you know, to the weeping water, and I'm going to find my brother and bring him home. And we're back with Bran. He's giving Dragon Lance, I mean, Bran and Sam. Bran and Sam. And he's giving them Dragon Lance for taking out the White Walkers and being safe. And then the Onion Knight is down visiting. Uh, and then we get the Onion Knight down there um, um, with what's his name? I always forget this cat's name. Uh, Arya's old buddy, it'll come to me. Uh, he's down in the cells of Stannis' castle. And then Onion Knight's like, hey, buddy, I just want to check on you. He's like, sorry, sir. And he's like, oh, I'm not a sir. He's like, I heard you called, sir. And he's like a recent state of affairs. I, I was born in Flea Bottom just like you. He's like, really? Yeah, I don't buy it. And he's like, I live. Now, first of all, as season four, great character Carl Tanner was also from Gin Alley. Oh, wait, from uh, Flea Bottom. But then we find out uh, what's his name was born on the street of Flower. But, uh, uh, on United Sir Davos is from Gin Alley, where Carl Tanner's from. Oh, no, he's from the Streets of Steel. But anyway, they're all from Flea Bottom. Two boys from Flea Bottom. We've come a long way. And he, he's like, uh, you know, we're all the same. He's like, yeah, that's what she told me. And he's like, well, why did you trust her? And he's like, well, I've never been with a woman. Not even really talked to one. He's like, Big words, no clothes. What are you going to do? And he's like, she doesn't know her way around a man's head. I'll give you that. And then they both have a laugh about that. And he's like, why, 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 how are you a sir anyway, Lord? He's like, that's a long story. He's like, I'm not going. He's like, well, I helped Stannis out in a difficult situation. He made me a lord, took my fingers off. You see, highborns, you know, they're, they're nuts. He's like, I didn't even want to be a lord, but I did it for my son so he didn't have to live in a place like Gin Alley. But he's not alive anymore. And he's like, well, how did I? He's like, following me. And then we have the seabirds and bells. And then we have Varys talking to Shay. And he's like, why? when did you come here? She's like, when I was a kid, 13 you know, when I was 13, I wasn't a kid anymore, you know. And he's like, you're a good influence, but I need you to leave town. He goes, you know, he used to drink and go to brothels and gamble. Now he just drinks, but you got to get out of here. And he, he He's like, you know, here's some diamonds. You know, you'll be safe. He, you put him in danger. And she's like, well, what are you? And he's like, Tyrion Lannister is one of the few people who could make this country a better place. He's got the mind, the will, and the last name, but you're complicating things. And she's like, if he wants to leave, he can tell me himself. I'm not going anywhere. Then we got Pod and Tyrion getting drunk, and Tyrion's like, uh, you know, it's not easy being drunk all the time. If it were easy, people would do it. 
and then tip, 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 Cersei rolls in. And this is another classic scene. Cersei just walks up to Podrick and she's like, leave. Like such a wonderful, oh man, I'm really attracted to her in this scene because she's so mean. Such a mean girl situation. And she's like, well, how's marriage? He's like, uh, unhappy wife is a wine merchant's best friend. Or maybe Cersei said that, but she's like, she doesn't deserve this. And she's like, be careful what you say. So, you know, start trying to work out who deserves what. And you'll spend the rest of your days weeping for every person in the world. He's like, there's nothing worse than a late-blooming philosopher. You know, are you going to be looking at your marriage to Sir Loris like this? She's like, I'm not marrying Sir Loris. She's like, I do what I want, but, you know, give her a child so she can have some happiness. And he's like... Well, how happy would you say you are? And she's like, not very, but if it weren't for my kids, uh, you know, I would, you know, she's like, they're, they're keeping me alive. He's like, even Joff, Joff, she's like, yeah, he was my first child, and I used to stare at him for hours, you know, his little baby toes and his little baby hair. And he's like, he was a nice baby. He's like, he, he, he. And he's like, no one can take that away, you know, not even Joffrey. You know, how it feels to have someone, someone of your own. And when she says even Joffrey, even Joffrey, she says this, uh, it's another wonderful look. And then Tyrion's kind of like, oh, well, how, how long does it go on? And he's not talking about, and she's like, he's talking about the series, I guess, or the story. He's like, how long does it go on? And she's like, until we've dealt with all our enemies. And he's like, every time we deal with an enemy, we create two more. And she's like, well, then I suppose it'll go on for quite a long time, which is good news for us as fans. And we have Hound and Arya, and they see these Frey soldiers recapping the action back at the Frey, the twins. And then Arya's like, oh, no, you know, and she takes this, and she takes this guy out, and it's like her first thing, and she looks at her bravosi coin, she says, Valar Mogulis. And meanwhile, the Hound, after he takes out the other soldiers, he's just in the background eating. And next scene is Jon Snow washing his face, and then boom, a great standing there, heartbroken. And she's got the drop on him. She's silent. Now, one thing we learned is she shouldn't have her bow pulled from the guys from the Brotherhood Without Banners, but we won't hold that against her. But they're both job, really good acting here. Kit Harrington, I think, is, I hope that I'm getting his name right, but he said, you know, what great, oh, he's trying to explain to her that he can both love her and love his duty. And she's like, no, she's, a, she's her eyes are saying, no, you can't. And he's like, don't worry, you're going to let me go. And she's like, she shoots him a couple times with arrows. He still gets away. And then they have this great shot of her crying, very touching. And then we have Sam and Gilly meet the maester. And there's like, oh, is Sam, is this your baby? He's like, no, it's named after me. She names it Sam. He's like, but unfortunately, you know, I didn't um, do the making. I just, you know, did the uh, telling, you know, singing the kid the poem and helping Yilly save her life and save the baby's life, but, you know, no benefits, you know, other than good, you know, being a good person. And he's like, do you remember the oath? He's like, yeah, I remember the oath. Night gathers and now my watch begins. I am the shield that guards the realms of men, the realms of men, maester. You know, she, she's, she's part of mankind, which we patriarchically call mankind. 
but she's still included in that humankind, which is what we should call it. Maester, what do you think about that? He says, no, 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 Tarly. That's getting off of the main plot point. And he said, we didn't build all these walls to keep out humankind. Uh, you know, the night is gathering, and I've seen it. Uh, you know, the White Walkers are coming. And the Maester, this guy's great, too. He says, well, we're, we can't send you back beyond the wall. He goes, I hope your penmanship is, you know, Tully, let's take Tarly, take this down, take, take, a, take a message. And he's like, let's send the rate, we're going to send 44 ravens out tonight. Then we have uh, a little more a little more comedy to reveal, you know, r- relieve some attention with the Onion Knight and uh, Stannis' daughter, and he's reading, and she's reading a little parallel play, parallel reading. And it's funny, he says, why is there a G in night? And she's like, I don't know, there just is. And he's like, well, your father's not going to this uh, quinceanera, sweet 16. And she's like, these books are better. You know, we could read about Balerion, the Dread. And she's like, they still got it in the dungeons under the Red Keep. He's like, I've been trying to stay out of dungeons my whole life. And then he finds uh, another note. He's like, oh, boy, this is a big note. The Night's Watch implores. And then he runs down to Stan's room and the bells are tolling. He's like, what the hell's going on here? And he's like, Rob Stark's gone. They betrayed by his bannermen. And he, Onion Knight's like, oh, because of, you think that's because of the leech? And she's like, I don't take any credit. I have faith. My faith was rewarded. And Onion was like, oh, no, no, no. My eyes are open. He goes, I don't know why Rob Stark didn't make it because of your sorcery or because it's just the facts of war. But he's like, blood magic's wrong. You're not an evil man. And Stannis, he's playing it like as dry as he can. He's like, you know who carved this table? Sir Davos, he's like, Aegon Targaryen. He's like, you know, he had the Balerion, the Dread, and he didn't have that many men. He said, but, you know, he had dragons, which are magic. And he's like, I'm not, he's like, I'm going after my enemies. I'm going to punish them with any arms at my disposal. And he's like, you don't sacrifice that Gendry kid downstairs whose name I just remembered. He's like, uh, and the red one was like, you know, it takes, it's going to take more than just a leech to take out the Lannisters. And he even tries to, Onion Knight tries the old humanization. He says, he's, his name's Gendry. He's a good boy from Flea Bottom. He's your nephew. And he's says, like, what's one life against the kingdoms? And Onion Knight says, everything. And then they just had, I think it's during this scene where Stannis is just staring out at the sea. And he's framed a beautiful, beautiful shot. And then cut to, uh, right, right that second, Davos sets Gendry free in his ship. He's like, don't drink seawater, stay in the boat. If you can't swim, you know, don't fall out of the boat. And, uh, you know, have some brown, bowl of brown. And we have a quick thing with John making it back to the wall. I mean, yeah, to the Castle Black. And he's like, Pip, Pip, my little buddy, I've dreamed of you. And Sam's like, what about me, John? He's like, Pip, so good to see you. And then he faints again. And then we have a touching scene, I think, with Jane, Cersei sitting there looking at the shell. And she's like, should I listen? I already have the natural sea right on my window, but should I listen to this sound that's like the sea? And she's holding the shell, and then Jamie rolls in. He looks totally disheveled. I think there's a shot of it first where they call him a country boy at the gates, him and Brienne and that other dude. 
But then she turns and he stand. He goes, Cersei, Cersei. So is it so? And she looks at him. And I guess I was a little bit jealous of, you know, even though that's a bad idea, but, you know, but she just gives him this look and it's like a moment frozen in time. Two lovers, also brothers and sister, reunited. I mean, I guess it was, I think her breath was almost, it seemed like her breath was taken away. And then we have like, uh, boom, Onion Knight's busted. He's like, you know, I'm not denying it. They're like, what did you do? He's like, He's like, exactly what, what you thought I did. And she's like, you saved his life and you doomed it to 10,000 people. And he's like, there's got to be another way. And he, she's like, they're like, what is the other way? And he's like, I can't see the future in the fire. And he's like, all right, well, well you, you know, I got to sentence you to death. And he's like, I, okay. Oh, he's like, but one thing, he's like, yeah, I got to advise you against it. He's like, what, what trickery is this? He's like, you're going to need me. One is your best friend and two as uh, I've got this scroll, and then the red woman reads it. She's like, uh, huh, uh, oh, wait a second. Uh, the War of the Five Kings means nothing. This Onion Knight is, uh, and, uh, you know, this is another layer I wasn't expecting. The war, true lie, war lies to the north, my king. Death marches on the wall. Only you can stop them. And Onion Knight makes his pitch, and Davos is like, well... And she's like, yeah, you, you you, use him. And she says, you see, Lord Davos, you've been saved by the fire god you like to mock. You're in his army now. And then we have the Khaleesi and her, her crew up on rocks, surrounded by her soldiers, waiting for the doors of this uh, city to open up. And like, don't worry, Khaleesi, they're going to come. And she's like, well, maybe, I didn't wanna, maybe they didn't want to be conquered. And they're like, you're their liberator. Uh, somebody said, people learn to love their change. Then the dragon screeches, and they're like, Misa, Misa. And they're like, well, it's old, old Giscar. It means uh, mother. And then Khaleesi, you know, first uh, interpreter starts speaking, and Khaleesi's like, in Valerian, I think. Uh, and then Khaleesi's like, I got this. You know, if you, you guys got to decide, you know, are you going to fight for your freedom? No one's going to give it to you. Or I can't give it to you. I can't set you free. Something both true and metaphorical. And they're like, oh, Misa, totally. And then she goes to step down off the rock. What a shot. Uh, it's like uh, she sends one of her dra- her dragons go up to fly, and you get a shot of, like, Jorah's face, like, worried but proud, and Barristan's face, and um, uh, Dario's there, my, my beautiful interpreter's there. And it's just this great shot. You're going up to them, and she's coming down off this, like, little, uh, you know, set of rocks. And then she goes in the crowd, and the crowd supports her. And, you know, people are a little worried. And then she crowd surfs, and they go, Misa, Misa. And then the music is building, this wonderful, wonderful music. And then it slowly pulls out, and it shows, you know, people and the soldiers. And a great ending to a great season. And the dragons are flying above head and stuff. Great. It was so. And uh, so that was the, then that was the end of the season. And uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll go run through it tonight. And then uh, soon we'll be talking about season five, believe it or not. Oh, boy. So what are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about Ramparts. We're going to talk about the Ramparts we watched, which we'll talk about Star Spangled Banner which will lead us into a discussion of the Naked Gun. 
Uh, we'll also talk about short sheeting real quick. We'll talk about on your own. We'll look into the phrase country bumpkin, uh, sweet sixteens and quinceañeras, and shell sounds and oceans. All right, are you ready for this ride? Uh, you know, whatever you want to do, let's go. The first thing that came up for me, you know, if, you, if you've been listening to this episode, when Bruce Bolton goes up at the beginning, I'm like, is that a rampart? You know, what are those things called? So, of course, I had to look that up. You know, so at least if if I if I looked stupid at first when I misused Rampart, I'll know it. So while I went over to Wikipedia, Rampart uh, fortification architecture is a length of bank or wall forming part of a defensive boundary of a castle or fortified site, usually broad tops and made of excavators or, or masonry. I don't know, so I don't know if it applies or not. Uh, early fortifications through prehistory and Middle Ages employed earth ramparts. Sure, it wouldn't be earthen. And a combination with ditches to defend the outer perimeter of a fortified site or settlement. Hill forts, ring forts, ring works. That's like uh, the fist of the first men, kind of, I think. All use ditch and other rampart defenses. And, of course, their characteristic feature of circular ramparts. They could be reinforced and raised in height by the use of palisades. That's a lovely word, palisade. Uh, this type of arrangement was a feature in Martin Bailey castles of northern Europe. Uh, types of rampart. Composition designs of rampart varied from simple mounds of earth and stone, known as dump ramparts, to complex earth and timber defenses, box ramparts, as well as ramparts with stone revetments uh, one type so, so it's still look good for me I think they're like uh, ramparts are usually on the outside of the castle it looks like later fortification as technology evolved during the middle ages and early modern times rampart ramparts continue to form part of the defenses but now they consisted of thick walls with crenellated parapets maybe it's a crenellated parapet Fieldworks, however, continued to make use of earth ramparts due to the relatively temporary nature. So that's at ramparts. But then you say, okay, isn't it, those of you in the U.S. and those of you in the U.S. that were paying attention on the level I said, ramparts we watch were so gallantly streaming, right? That's from the Star Spangled Banner, our national anthem. And uh, over here at uh, homeschoolpool.info, whose phrases dive in, uh, I checked this one out. Uh, Star Spangled Banner's lyrics were written by Francis Scott Key in 1814. They came from a poem, uh, The Defense of Fort McKendry during the War 1812. John Stafford Smith wrote a popular British song, and the tune was used with Key's lyrics replacing the original. Uh, the song became a popular patriotic song and was later adopted as a national anthem in 1931. Uh, the song is difficult to sing, and while it actually has four stanzas, typically only the first is sung. Lyrics are, the lyrics, which I'm not going to sing, are, Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. 
and the rocket's red glare of the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? Continuing with homeschool pools, similar to Pledge of Allegiance, many people grew up singing national anthem, not knowing what it means. And according to homeschool pool info, you know, if you teach your kids a song, explain to them what it means. So, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Hey, can you see the morning? What so proudly we hailed at twilight's last gleaming. What we were so uh, saw and were amazed by and proud of last night, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous flight, the flag that through all the dangerous fighting, over the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, we could still see standing strong and waving, and then uh, linking it together. Uh, last night as the sun was setting, we could still see the flag waving. We were so proud of this. Is it still there this morning? Oh, we're so gallantly streaming, question mark. Streaming. Usually people say, so gallantly streaming. And then they hit it on this. And the rocket's red glare. Um, bombs bursting in air through the fighting bombs, guns, and cannons going off. And their explosions are lighting the night sky. Gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. The lights from the explosion showed us that, indeed, our flag was still standing. That might be more confusing for a kid than the thing, indeed. I don't know. Uh, oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Yes, our flag is still standing. Over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Over our land, the land of the free. Willing to fight bravely for the freedom. And then tying it together, the bombs, guns, and cannons exploded in the night, giving off enough light to see that the flag was still standing. Our flag, which stands for our country, the home of the free people willing to fight for that freedom bravely, the United States of America. So that's a little bit from homeschoolpool.info. And I know a lot of you out there serve the United States or your, your, your own country. You know, a wartime and in peacetime. Well, I don't know. Have we had any peacetime? You know, and and you've you've put yourself in dire straits, and through you know a lot a lot of hard times for this country. So, but we we tend to be a country here in the U.S. Either sometimes we take ourselves too seriously, and sometimes we can laugh at ourselves. Uh, particularly when I hear the national anthem, a lot of times I think of uh, the movie The Naked Gun, and I think of Frank Drebin, played by Les Leslie Nielsen. Uh, singing the national anthem as Leslie Nielsen, as Frank Drebin, as Enrico Palazzo, a uh, a fake, uh, I guess like Placido Domingo, I don't know, Pavarotti. But he goes out there to sing the national anthem. He's trying to save the life of uh, Queen Elizabeth. Great, great movie. It's a spoof movie. I haven't seen it in a while. So I don't know if the movie stands up, but I'll link to this singing of the national anthem. To me, the funniest national anthem spoof, just because he, Leslie Nielsen, he's a national treasure. He's so funny and clueless. And personally, I mean, I don't, I have the clueless part. I don't know if I have the, um, and I, I definitely have the lack of self-awareness of Frank Drebin, but I don't have the, uh, the you know, the ability to, to pull it off. 
you know, I can only be myself, I guess. I can't be Leslie Nielsen being Frank Drebin. I'm stuck being Frank Drebin, I guess. But anyway, we can all enjoy Enrico Palazzo singing. So, so check that out if you haven't seen it. And then you might say, okay, what's The Naked Gun? Fill me in on that, please. It was a series of movies, but I remember the first one. It's uh, by Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker. And it was based on a short-lived ABC television series, Police Squad. We're just going to cover the first one, uh, The Naked Gun. Uh, Frank Drebin, as I said, played by Leslie Nielsen, tries to stop an assassination of Queen Elizabeth during her visit to the U.S. The main suspect is uh, Vincent Lud- Ludwig, a rich guy played by Ricardo Montalban, who it's kind of like that movie uh, that they remade where, you know, they uh, mind control, kind of like what I do on this podcast. You know, so they use mind control to assassinate it. Uh, Drebin falls in love with uh, Julia Spencer, played by Jane Spencer, played by Priscilla Presley. And uh, she helps him, uh, you know, stop the crime. And O.J. Simpson's in it, so that might, uh, I don't know how that'll color your feelings about it, but uh, another person is George Kennedy. He's a great, great comic actor, too. So check it out. You know, if you can't, if you can't, uh, Naked gun and airplane. Check, you know, if your kids today, you say, I want to laugh at something or see if it's still funny. Well, check those movies out. I think they, you know, they have a special place in my heart. So, or you want to know something about me and what I like to watch as a kid, that's what I, you know, instead of studying the national anthem, I was studying Enrico Palazzo. I was probably writing Enrico, Enrico Palazzo fan fiction back then. So, so anyway, check it out. Uh, when Sansa's like talking about playing practical jokes, uh, the uh, uh, Tyrion's like, well, what, do you, what do you got up your sleeve there, Sansa? Tell me you're beautiful and devious, and uh, maybe I'll make Shay even more jealous by choking uh, with you. But she says something she wants to uh, Sheep shift. She says, let's sheep shift those guys that are making fun of you. And I said, did she say short sheep? Sheep short? Sheet short? Sheep sheep? I couldn't figure it out. I mean, the second or third time I figured it out. But um, it reminded me of short cheating, which again, I'm like, short cheating, what's that? And every once in a while I had this uh, one roommate, Chris. He was a great guy. A lot like Stannis in his ability to be both serious and extra serious. And then, uh, you know, can you imagine he had to live with me three years of his poor life, and then I would visit him and crash on his couch millions of times and put him talk about getting put through the rigmarole. But anyway, he, I remember I spoke at his wedding, and I said, uh, I compared his sense of humor and his personality to a saltine cracker. I think I said he was, I was, he was as dry as a saltine cracker, which Stannis, I think I probably described Stannis that way too. Pretty dry. You don't get drier than a saltine cracker. But anyway, he, he would always say, let's short sheep the, their beds. Maybe he was saying sheep shift them or whatever, sheep shift. Sansa shorts sheep shift. Sheeting. Oh, wait, we do have, that's a, uh, we got ourselves a tongue twister here. Possible tongue twister. Send it in to me. Send in your entries. Sansa shorts sheep shift. Selling Sansa sells sheep shift. 
Sansa sells sheep, sheep shift short. Something, something, sensing something for decline, like a, the sheep shift market's going to crash. Sansa sells sheep shift short, sensing sudden, sudden, why would you sell it short? Because there's a sudden surge in sheep shift supply. Sansa sells sheep shift short, sensing sudden surge in sheep shift supply. Say that once fast. Sansa sells sheep. Sansa sells sheep short, sensing sudden surge in sheep shift supply. Okay. Anyway, what's short sheeting? You 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 nincompoop. <laughs> you nincompoop. Uh, short sheet from UrbanDictionary.com is a prank used when you rig a person's bed. Here's how: First, they have to have more than one blanket or sheep, one on the top, one on the bottom. Believe me, I read so many examples. Again, I can't understand. I I don't understand it. Take the one on the bottom and pull out the part of the sheep, sheep, the sheet out from under the bottom part of the mattress and tuck the top part of the sheet all the way under the top part of the mattress. Then fold the bottom half of the sheep so it looks like it still was the way before. When they get in bed, they think their legs will stretch to the end of the bed like normal, but they'll be short-sheeted and will not be able to get their legs to the bottom of the bed because the folded part of the sheet will be in the way. I'm still trying to picture how that works. Can't, I guess, it, do, is it, do you need, like, two top sheets? Is that why? That's just easier. For, instead of making sense of this kind of stuff, I just you know, distract you. With Sansa, short cells, sheep shift, sensing a sudden surge in sheep shift supply. Uh, sensible? So, 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 something. Surely sensible, says Sally, selling seashells by the seashore. All right, let's uh, let's move on. So d- during that wonderfully acted and directed scene with Tyrion and Cersei, talking about children and Joffrey and their enemies, she says something. Uh, she says, uh, and, and no one can take that away from you, not even Joffrey, how it, it means to be someone, have someone, someone of your own. Now, I don't know why it made me think of this, uh, but I'm going read to the, the, read it first, and then I'll talk about it. I don't know why. Holy man tiptoed his way across the Ganges, the sound of magic music in his ears, videoed by a busload of tourists, Shiny shell suits and drinking lemonade. Now I've got a funny feeling, which I bought mail order from a man in a teepee in California. Said he once was a great game show performer. Then he blew all his money away, blew it all away. So take me home. Don't leave me alone. I'm not that good, but I'm not that bad. No psycho killer. Hooligan, gorilla, I dreamed a riot. Oh, you should try it. I'll eat parole, get gold card soul. My joy of life is on a roll, and we'll all be the same in the end. Then you're on your own. Well, we go, happy day glow in the discos. The sound of magic music in our brains. Someone stumbles to the bathroom with the horrors. Says, Lord, give me 
time, for I've jumped into space. I'm in outer space. So take me home. Don't leave me alone. I'm not that good, but I'm not that bad. No psycho killer and hooligan gorilla. I dreamed a riot. Or maybe you should try it. Ellie Parole get gold card soul. My life, my joy of life is on a roll, and maybe we'll, and we'll all be the same in the end. And you're on your own. That's a song by Blur called On Your Own. I don't know why it came into my head. I mean, I like that song, but I like, wasn't like I was a hardcore listener of Blur. I don't think I listened to that song until probably like 10, 12 years after it came out. Let's see. It came on 97, according to uh, Wikipedia. It was used in the movie The Beach in 2000. It's 2000, what, 15 now? Yeah, I probably listened to it in 2007. Uh, so I don't know why I got stuck in my head, but, um, it's a song by Blur. It got up to number five on the sing- UK singles chart. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I, I mean, but why not bring it up? Uh, who's Blur? You might ask their English rock band formed in 1988. They consist of a singer keyboardist, Damon Albarn, guitarist singer, Graham Coxon, Bassist Alex James and uh, drummer Dave Roundtree. Their debut album, Leisure, incorporated sounds of Madchester and shoegazing. Following a stylistic change influenced by English guitar pop groups such as the Kinks, Beatles, and XTC, uh, Blur released Modern Life is Rubbish in 93, Park Life in 94, Great Escape in 95. And as a result, they popularized the Britpop genre and achieved mass popularity in the U.K. Aided by a chart battle with rivals Oasis in 95, dubbed the Battle of Britpop. And I know that I, 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 I would love to look into that more. I love, uh, uh, in recording their follow-up Blur in 97, the band went under another reinvention and did more of a low-file American indie sound. But that album, including song number two, brought Blur success in the United States. And then 1999, they released 13, which they're experimenting more with electronic and gospel music and more personal lyrics from Albarn. In 2002, Coxon left Blur during the recording of their seventh album, which was uh, marked by Albarn's interest in hip-hop and African music. After a 2003 tour without Cox and Blur and no studio work or touring, uh, they reunited with Cox and back in the fold in 2009, released several singles, a retrospective, and toured in 2012. They received a Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to Music, and they're scheduled this month, believe it or not, to release their first studio album in 12 years, The Magic Whip. And there's a lot more interesting stuff here, but obviously I can't, you know, overindulge and blur. But uh, in- interesting, interesting stuff. But that was just on, on your own when I was thinking of something. You know, that song, if you've heard it, uh, it's got a very unique uh, sound or chorus, so it just shot into my head when Cersei was talking. So I don't know. But, yeah, that's Blur on your own. Uh, when Jamie enters uh, King's Landing or the Red Keep, I'm not sure which one, uh, someone says, you know, step aside, country boy, or quit your gawking. 
And then I was like, oh, why didn't he call him a country bumpkin? That would have even been more offensive than country. Well, maybe not. I don't know. And then I was like, well, you know, what does country bumpkin mean? So I headed over to phrases.org.uk and I found country bumpkin. Uh, the meaning, an awkward, unsophisticated rustic, a clown. Origin. The speakers of English have a rich vocabulary to note stupidity, inane, foolish, laughable, ridiculous, absurd, dumb, the list goes on and on. There is another side to this coin, clever, intellectual, sharp, ingenious, etc. That is, unless you live in the countryside. There are many words to indicate the dim-wittedness of rustics, but few to suggest their intelligence. Oh boy, we're headed right down controversy lane, I think, here. Uh, to put it bluntly, as far as city sick slickers are concerned, the countryside is where thickos live. None of this is my words. Oh boy, those horny-handed sons of the soil are variously called bumpkins, yokels, hicks, and hillbillies. And as you might imagine, these names didn't come out of the air. Each has a derivation. A bumpkin was originally a name that the English had for the Dutch, whom they portrayed as small, comic, and tubby. Uh, The word is derived from either the Dutch boomkin, meaning little tree, or bom ekjin, meaning little barrel. The word came into English in the 16th century, unsurprisingly, as the English at the time couldn't even spell English words with any consistency. couldn't even spell any English words with any consistency. There wasn't even a consensus on how it should be spelled. The first example in print was in uh, P- Peter Levin's Rhyming Dictionary in 1570, Bunkin, B-U-N-K-I-N. It's kind of like when I, I think I told you guys I wrote on this girl's notebook in fifth grade, Assold. A-S-S-O-L-D, because I heard it on the playground. It's horrible, but I said, I wrote assold. I thought it was assold. And then the teacher said, who did this? And I said, not me. And then she, you know, I was the only one who called and said, uh, did she say, I heard you yelling assold earlier. Uh, that's not the correct word. So I know it was you. I said, oh, thank you. Uh, I won't be an asshole from now on. Anyway. Uh, back to uh, uh, Bumpkin. The next attempt by Lord Windsor in 68 said uh, Bumking, B-U-N-K-I-N-G. Uh, but Bumpkin was accepted in the spelling in the 18th century, by which time the term just meant stupid fellow. Bumpkins were degraded to country bumpkins by Lord Chesterfield in 1774 when he said uh, a country bumpkin is ashamed when he comes into good company. Well, that's pretty pretentious. Uh, not that we really needed to import slang terms for rustics from Holland. We had our own yokels. Yokels derived as a name for an, in, an ignorant rustic from the old dialect name for a green woodpecker. Meanwhile, across the pond, Hicks was emerging from the undergrowth. Actually, though, Hick is now a bona fide American term. It traveled there from the U.K., it came about via the habit of changing the first letters of the names in order to make a diminutive nickname. Robert became Bob, William became Bill, and Richard became Dick or Hick. Uh, 
and then the Dictionary of the Canting Crew in 1699 to find Hick as a sl- silly country fellow. Bump, bumpkin, Hick Bumpkin, uh, uh, 1702 Richard Steele uh, brought uh, Bumpkin together in that term. He said, uh, Richard Bumpkin, a perfect country Hick. Uh, another uh, rustic appellation is hayseed from the U.S. It was coined by Herman Melville and Moby Dick in a sequence in which he suggests a country-bred downright bump kid would fare badly in a storm at sea. Ah, poor hayseed. How bitterly will burst those straps in the first howling gale. Uh, the formula rural resident plus shortened nickname was also used to derive the U.S. term hillbilly. There's not more to be said about this name than the definition from the New York Journal in 1900. A hillbilly is a free and untrammeled white citizen of Alabama who lives in the hills, has no means to speak, no means to speak of, dresses as he can, talks as he pleases, drinks whiskey when he gets it, and fires off his revolver as the fancy takes him. Uh, please send all complaints to phrases.org.uk. So the U.K. prefers bumpkins and yokels while the U.S. goes for hicks, hayseeds, and hillbillies. In 1994, when the writers of The Simpsons needed a resident moronic character for the cartoon series, they went straight to the countryside. Not a hick, hayseed, or hillbilly, though. They opted for Cletus Buckler, the slack-jawed yokel. So originally that was supposed to be, what was it? Oh, a country bumpkin. So... So I guess Jamie got off easy, uh, maybe. Uh, so the Onion Knight's up in, in, in Shireen's room. I hope I have her name correct. Uh, and they're both reading. She's reading her books about uh, oh, Balerion the Dread, I think, is the chapter she's on. Well, one of the scrolls the Onion Knight is reading was like a bir- some party invitation for uh, Shireen's cousin. Uh, it was for her cousin or something. And I was like, "Is that was that a sweet sixteen party, or a quinceanera?" And some of you may have heard of both of them. Some of you might not have heard of any of them. But I shot over to AmazingKidsMagazine dot com. Seems like a magazine written. It's at AmazingKids dash org. This is from the twenty eleven April issue, and it's written by Kristen Cybell, sixteen from El Salvador. Uh, Sweet 16 versus quinceañeras. Coming age, traditions, rituals. Every culture has a form of celebration to recognize the coming of age when you're a young adult. In North America, they have Sweet 16s. In Latin America, they're called quinceañeras. Uh, Over the years, both celebrations have lost their ethnicity because society no longer thinks it is appropriate to wed at the age of 15 or 16. Also today, girls see this as a right, not an opportunity. In reality, so many girls have sweet 16s, forget what this festivity symbolizes, the coming of age when a girl is now considered a woman. For example, the show Sweet 16 is basically about girls getting everything they want and having a huge party. However, to say the least, North America and other parts of the world felt they needed another celebration for the coming of age. Uh, in Latin American countries, it acknowledges your 15th birthday. Also, in most Latin countries, at 15, you can get your license. That is uh, part of the reason why in America they have sweet 16s. 
Both celebrations recognize the coming of age and have some similarities, but they have different traditions. In the Latin countries of Latin America, they call the celebration of when a girl reaches the age of maturity a quinceanera. The origin origin the origin of quinceanera goes all the way back to the indigenous cultures of the Americas. For example, the Aztec and the Maya. When a girl came to the age of 15, she was considered a woman, and she would be allowed to wed and carry a child. Today, girls do not get wedded at the age of 15. However, the celebration is still kept. That became a tradition later on. Uh, traditions for quinceaneras consist of a candle lighting at church. The last doll symbolizes the last toy of her childhood. A shoe ceremony where they replace the flat with a heel and a dance between a mother and daughter, as well as a dance between a father and a daughter. Another tradition is wearing a pink dress. In Latin American countries, there is typically a church service that they attend, and they talk about women and the coming of age. Traditions for Sweet Sixteens are vary because of the many different ethnic backgrounds. However, they run along the same lines. However, quinceaneras are what girl in Latin and South America dream of. When I asked Camilla Hernandez when she started to dream of her quinceanera, she said she started dreaming of it when she was 13. In uh, North America and other countries, the majority of people with European origins celebrate the coming of age at 16. The original origin isn't clear, but it is evident it has found a place in girls' lives. As for traditions, there aren't that many. Uh, there might be a dance with their parents, but other than that, it's not really a big concern unless it includes receiving a car. When I asked Tara Smith uh, the age when she first dreamt about her Sweet Sixteen, she replied, I was about eight when I really under- understood the concept of Sweet Sixteen, but 13 when I started to dream about it. MTV has done Sweet Sixteen's a disservice. They've taken over-the-top girls, and that's what the audience sees. The girls come off as being spoiled and obnoxious. And the show doesn't doesn't show the real purpose of having this kind of celebration. It's poisoning the minds of girls everywhere. With this in mind, quinceaneras and sweet sixteens are great celebrations, but over time some have lost their meaning and as an excuse to party. This should be a sign we're losing our background and need to revive it. Uh, so nice job by uh, Kristen Seibel. Hopefully, uh, I don't know, there's a, nothing about... Uh, uh, bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs, uh, which I'm trying to think what other, um, there's got to be more celebrations that are missing in here too. But, you know, when I touch by a 16, young 16-year-old, uh, you know, we're getting her writing chops in, so nice job. Circe, uh, Circe, I think I call her Circe, but I think it's, I remember I can hear uh George R. R. Martin's voice in one of the things saying, Cersei, holy mackerel, I just thought of a major question because I cut cable and I signed up for HBO Now. If you're watching HBO Now, do you get those bonuses or not? So I'll find out, I know that by now. But but uh, so I said it was Cersei or Cersei, uh, depending on w- when I'm saying it. She's listening to the shell or checking the shell out right before Jamie makes his uh, grand return, or not, I guess his return wasn't really grand, touching, well, yeah, I mean, it was, yes, it was touching for that one moment in time, 
Uh, but I was saying, you know, what's with shells in the ocean? You know, I, I don't know. Have I looked that up before? So I look, went over to mentalfloss.com. They're always good for some answers. And uh, why does shells sound like the ocean? And Matt Somniak, S-O-N-I-A-K, wrote about it. He was answering a question from Kevin in Arkansas. You know, why do you hear the ocean when you put a shell to your ear? And uh, this was from August 20th, 2009. Matt answered, uh, all right, well, first things first, no matter how much it may sound like the ocean, it's not, you know, that's not what you're hearing. Which that's always fun when you're a little kid. You're like, holy cow, it's so cool. Uh, For the brief, you know, age where you're like, is there an ocean in here? Okay, back to the article. Now that we've got that out of the way. Uh, what is your hearing? In a word, the ambient noise that's being produced all around and inside you. Whoa, I, wow, I, this is shocking. I'm not kidding. Uh, which you don't normally hear or pay attention to because it's too quiet. Okay, let me read that again. Uh, word for word this time. In a word, noise, the ambient noise that's being produced all around and inside you, which you normally don't hear. Or pay attention to it because it's too quiet. To amplify this noise so you can hear it quickly, you need a resonator. Uh, Want to make one on the cheap? Form an O shape with your mouth and flick your finger against your throat or cheek. You should hear a note. Make a larger O to change the shout, shut your mouth. You'll hear different notes. Uh, what you're doing is uh, letting your mouth uh, be some sort of Hemholtz resonator where sounds produced by air vibrating in a cavity with one opening. And you can change the pitches on that. The seashell, uh, inside of which has many hard curved surfaces, great for reflecting sound, is doing the same thing you just did with your mouth. The ambient noise we talked about, the air moving past and within the shell, the blood flowing through your head, the conversation in the next room is resonating inside the cavity of the shell being amplified and becoming clear enough for us to notice. Uh, Just like the various shapes we make with our mouths to produce different pitches, different sizes and shapes of shells sound different because different resonant chambers will amplify different frequencies. The fact that all shells sound just a bit like the ocean is purely coincidental. Holding any sort of resonance or Hemholz resonator to your ear will produce a similar effect whether the object is associated with the ocean or not. Oh, yeah, I didn't even make that connection of shells from the ocean. Put an empty glass over your cup and you'll hear just about the same. I'm going to try that later, but um, well, let's do live. Let's try this out here. This is like a no-no when you record podcasts. I have, uh, what is this called? Gin Trail. You guys hear the ocean? No, it's like, I'm going to take a sip. This is another no-no, but, you know, live experiment. Okay, guys, uh, this is not sounding like the ocean. Let's, um, this is, okay. I'm doing your podcast. That sounds a little creepy. That sounds a little creepy. All right, guys, uh. So that's a little bit from Mental Floss about uh, shells and the ocean sounds. Well, actually, one more thing just made me think of it. Uh, ocean Size is a good song by Jane's Addiction. 
And then one of my favorite, um, and then one of my favorite Ween albums is called The Mollusk, and I think there's a song on there. Well, there's a song called The Mollusk. I love that song. And then there's a song. I think it's called Ocean Man. Probably, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a you know music. I'm not a good person. That's like good, like good at music talking or criticism. So I don't know. But as far as Ween goes, that's a very uh, approachable album. Anybody could listen to it. You listen to it four or five times. Those songs are pretty poppy and enjoyable. So, uh, yeah. And then I Wish I Was. Uh, one of my, actually, that might be one of the best Chains Addiction songs. Maybe there's a live version somewhere. Anyway, we better get, get going. All right, thanks. Hello, hello. This is Prince Tommen, Lord Tommen. Uh, you know, maybe even one day, you know, today, maybe known as King Tommen. But when I want to be known as something and I say, oh, who am I? Oh, whoa, whoa, oh, wait a second. I am someone. I am the best friend of Sir Pounce, the greatest cat ever known, and the best friend of mother, and the best friend a boy could have. Who he is my best friend, and I am his best friend, Sir Pounce and Sir Tommen. Two best friends that go great together. That's what the Podman always says. Two best friends. That, I think he says something. He said, oh, it's from a commercial. I said, what is it? And it's been a strange time where me and my best friend, Sir Pounce, have been in this Podman's world. And he said, you know, he makes me say, we're very similar to a boy named Tom and a cat named Sir Pounce snuck out of his room many nights by the pod man in my dressing gown. I've gone through this whole thing. But over the past, uh, you know, few uh, few months I've crossed into, you know, fiction, non-fan fiction, you know, that I've been part of his world and in his world, you know, I've had some, I've learned some things, many things. And you say, you might say to yourself, you know, I have a best friend. I have the best friend in friendship, the best friend, you know, a cat who is cool, who is has adventures, who puts the braveness and bravery, many things Sir Pounce is known around the world for. Would, would I ever need another friend? Would I, could I learn about friendship? Is there, is it, is this sadness I hide in my heart? Is there, you know... Is, uh, there's no more room for any more sadness in Tommen's heart. And, and so, I, the pod man, he's been talking. So, but I said, uh, I think I've learned that I have another friend. Oh, because I did have that friend, the stable boy. But mother put his head on a pike because he was the innocent, you know, royals. Something about, I don't remember. But anyway, that was another time. But yes, I think this pod, this pod man may be a friend. It made me a friend of mine because what I, we, 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 he said, uh, for many days, I said, take me to the ocean. And he said, Tom, and I, said, he said, I said, take me to the ocean. I command you. And he, he said, okay, Tom. And, and then I would yell, I would stand in the water with my swim, sh- swim shirt and swim trunks. And I would yell into the sea, you know, Kabbalah. Until my throat would go no more, and uh, Podman and Sir Pounce, if Sir Pounce wasn't busy with girl cats, meeting them and 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 saying hello, 
a bad man named Sir would sit there and wait for me, and the bad man would bring me water. And if I got close away from the water, Sir Pounce would come and, and lick my calves to take the salt water away. And then I learned we were only at the bay and not in the ocean. I said, I, and I, I, to, I, told, I treated the pot man as I've seen, you know, I, you know like, like a good Lannister would. I lashed him with my, my words. And I said, take me to the ocean. And so we went, and then I did the whole thing again. And then I said, where are we, when are we going back inside? And the podman said, no, 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 we cannot. we're sleeping here at this campsite. I said, oh, no. Well, you know, and then he said, uh, he built a fire by himself, unsupervised by adults. I said, and he said, Tom, and you could help me. I said, build a fire. And he said, promise me you'll never build and I said, I've made that promise so many times, but I just haven't been able to figure out how to undo the... Pr- but anyway, I, I swore many times. And Sir Pounce even, he said, Ramen, Rorier, Wah-ah. So I said, okay, Sir Pounce, no fires, just this one. So I helped the podman build a fire. Uh, he called it a bonfire, for we would be bonded as friends this night. And we sat around the fire, and I watched it, and I felt it on my face, and we burned marshmallows, just like they were commoners, and I, <laughs> and I pretend, and we, and I pretended they were flaming, uh, like I was going into the dungeon, and the podman was my prisoner. We said, "What are those torches?" We called them, and he saw me about chocolate and uh, graham crackers. And he said, Shmore, this is a shmore. And I said, I, I, I prefer to just burn the marshmallows, to be honest, and smell them. And then, you know, flick them at your, because he was now wearing a shirt, and then I would flick it. And he'd say, ah, Tom, and that hurts. And, and I said, well, and, and anyway, he told me, he said, I said, well, he said, are you okay with this, Capolina? And he said, she, I said, she just can't hear me. I just need to yell more. And he said, Tom, and it's time for you to go home, you know, to the home, a possible home that may exist for a person like you in another world. And I said, I know, Podman, but I'm not going till I've wed Kelpalina and I can return with her as my bride. And then the Podman said, Tom, and I want to tell you some stories. And he went on and on, oh, for hours, many times, I, you know, and now that I can sleep with my eyes open, well, I didn't want to. I watched the fire, so it was so interesting. It was riveting. But, but occasionally he would. But he told me, "Oh, there was this one girl I liked," and said, and then it always ended the same with him. Oh, let's be friends. Oh, you two, you're so strange. Oh, well, if only your nose did not run so. Yeah, we maybe and, and then the podman would say, "Oh, and I went." He said, "I wondered what was wrong." And I said, "Wait a second, you wonder what was wrong with you too? I wonder what's wrong with you." And then me and Sapans laughed, and then I said, "No, seriously, podman. Sometimes late at night, I wonder what is wrong with me." And he said, "Tom, and there's nothing wrong with you." And I said, "Oh, thank you." And then he waited. And I, and I said, what are you waiting for, Podman? He said, never mind. Am I? And then Sir Pounce, he said, and I said, what did you say? There's nothing wrong with me. I know Sir Pounce. And he looked at the Podman. 
And they shrugged. I think it was, uh, anyway, I don't care because I'm, you know, he's a common boy anyway. Friends, not best friends. And uh, clearly there's nothing wrong with Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce is the model of uh, all things good and brave and courageous and of friendship, you know. But anyway, so the pie man said, he told me, oh, you know, he said, I called it. I said, would you you want to be my girlfriend? And I said, okay. I think I get it, Padman. No girls liked you for a very long time, uh, but eventually you grew that chest hair that I'm so, you know, I stare at so. And he, I said, I said just, I'm not a, Kepalina loves me, Padman. I'm not worried about that. Or that, you know, I, believe me, Padman, I've thought about it and you've told me, well, maybe a sea woman and a, a boy from another world cannot be in love. I cannot, uh, uh, you know, and I, and this, and he said, and I, I put my foot on, I said, no, no, no. And then he said, okay, well, I'm going to bed. And I said, can I watch the fire? He said, well, it's almost out. Uh, and I said, well, I want more fire. And he said, oh, well, you know, only if you go back to West or, West or wherever you're from. And I said, oh, no. And then he said, wait a second, uh, okay, let's build another fire, Tom. And then he said, let's get close. And he said, so, he told me, tell me all about what you're thinking about with Kelpalina. And I told him how we would ride seahorses deep into the sea and how I would find out if she is like a cat, like a cat, and I could, you know, I could pet her like a cat and the things you told me about kissing and then I tried the kissing and how the potman, he loves neck. He said, he said, oh, he loves neck. So he said, well, let's look into this. But uh, I said, so then, you know, we probably have, I don't know if we should have children, potman. Very confused. But one day, he said, I, I said, I think I will hire you, potman, when I'm on my sea throne. And, I, and he, I, he said, you will live in the sea. And I said, both the sea and the castle. I said, I don't know, Podman. I just know I want to ride a seahorse with my Kelpalina and have her sit in my lap and kiss me and be mine forever. Wrap me in her Kelpie arms, her Kelp-covered arms. Her arms are not Kelp, just to be clear. And, you know, make me feel that feeling inside, and that's what I want forever. And he said, so you're going to stay here, probably, with Kelpalina and not go back where you're supposed to be. And I said, I believe so, Podman. Are you saying I get to choose my life for one time in my life? And he said, go ahead, Tom. And he goes, in fact, I was thinking about it because, you know, with this strange machine he has, a Boltonator, whatever it is, he said, I could cross over and maybe I could, you know, take over for you. And I said, what do you mean, Batman? He said, well, he said, try this on, Tom. And he talks like that. Hey, Tom, and... Okay, Tommen, let me try. Oh, this is Tommen. Hello, I'm Tommen. Oh, 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 I'm Prince Tommen. And I said, I don't know, Tommen. I said, Podman, that sounds a little bit more like my father. And he said, Oh, I, my mother, I've been through the puberty. I, I just, oh, yes, 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 I'm Tom. And he said, uh, he said, I think I could do that. I could. Be. And he said, you know, he said, it would be nice, I think. I, I do like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you were married, right? Uh, uh, he was, because remember, Tom, and I was saying about the neck and, and the, the shoulder area. 
And he began talking about women with low-cut... Uh, a woman, I said, wait a second, is this, this is all sounding too familiar. And he said, yes, I will kiss that neck. It will be mine. And he said, how, how many, how many, you know, he goes, tell me about your bed. And I told him how many layers there were and how warm it was when I had, you know, I said, more layers on me. You know, bring me another blanket. Take that blanket on. He said, I could get used to that, Tom. And, and he, he said, you will have kelp. You know, that will not keep you warm, but I'm sure Kelpolina's and he said, Kebelina's probably cold-blooded, Tom, and so she won't keep you warm either, but she'll be warm in your, in your heart. And I said, oh, I, I hate the cold, though. And he said, well, the water will suck out. Maybe you'll change somehow and adjust to the cold. And then he said, well, I, he said, I quite like your mother, he said to me. And I said, well, she does not love, she does not appreciate it. And, and he said, I think I will undertake a new set of behaviors to impress mother. And he said, I will be a good listener. And, and I said, will you become a schemer? And she said, Tom, listen to me. This is how it is done. Enemies. And I said, I do not want to talk about enemies anymore. And then he said, uh, Mother, tell me more about conquering the enemies, please. I would love to hear more. Oh, Mother, tell me how much wiser you are than your brothers and your father. Oh, tell me, Mother. Oh, Mother, that is so wise. And I said, oh, that sounds like Mother would would love that. That was a, a good idea, Podman. And then he had told me to tell him his favorite, my favorite foods. And he said, oh, I will, oh, that's how, and I said, spice cake and nut cake. I said, uh, egg cake. I said, milk cakes, uh, sweet cakes, sour, sweet and sour cakes. Oh, boy, I love those. And he said, well, that sounds good. He said, I don't know about Kelpolina, Tom. And he said, I don't know if she's a, you know, you could have fish cakes or maybe you'll just have kelp cakes. It should be good. And I said, hmm, coldness and no mother. What if mother loves it? And then I noticed the pounce was sitting more close to the pod man than to me. And he said, I said, well, Sapounce, well, and then Sapounce hopped into the podman's lap, and I got the idea then and there. And I said, Sapounce, you, you will not be living in the sea with me and Kelpolina. And Sapounce proceeded, you know, by, by, he, said, by, he looked at the podman, and said, so Sapounce, you'll have your seahorses, Tom, and your new best friend, the best friend a sea king's ever had, the best, two best friends in the world of sea. Under the sea, cold, cold-blooded seahorse, warm-blooded boy who's very cold, eating kelp cakes, while you know, you know, the two best friends that could manage to be best friends in the sea, Sir Tommen and Sir Seahorse. And I said, Sir Seahorse doesn't go well, not like Sir Pounce. It does not pop. And her and him in Sapounce's yawn. And he said, oh, well, it's time for us to go to bed, Tom. And are you going to stay at the campsite? Or, you know, maybe you should practice sleeping in the sea. And at first I started to feel a little bit sad, I'll tell you. And then I said, well, maybe I've changed my mind. And then I tell you, my friends, I had I went to sleep. I had a dream. It was a bit confusing because it was Mother and Kelpolina 
and they were nude for a bit. So very confusing, that, that part of it, and any feelings I may have had would have been more confusing if I had allowed them. Oh, oh. Uh, but anyway, I blocked those deep. But the, uh, what they said to me after the shock of seeing Kelpa, Kelpa Mother, Kelpa Mother Lena, his, uh, they said to me, Oh, Tom, and how and I said they she they were explaining to me what friendship was and the opposite taking the opposite approach or whatever they call it, and they said how nice that they tried to trick you to go home where you belong, where it's warm and where you know you already have, and I started to think about the woman who I forgot her name but she did have a nice neck. And I said, well, it doesn't have kelp on it, so it would be warm. That would be nice. And maybe I could have a spice cake while I kiss her neck. And all those blankets. And then I would, you know, sapounce. And then I said, oh, boy, sapounce. No, that's a deal breaker. Okay, Kelpolina. And so I went to, I got out of bed. I I said, uh, I said, uh, but the main thing was, I was like, this bad man is my friend. He wants me to go home where I belong where I'll be most happy. But and then I went to the sea and I screamed. I said, yeah, Bolina, no more. You know, I don't understand. I mean, it took me a while to get out all the stuff about the nudity or the nakedness. But anyway, I said, no, you know, goodbye. And then a piece of kelp wrapped around my ankle. Meanwhile, all these people at the campground were yelling in the podman. He had to fight many people. Very br- I said, what a friend, and Sapounce helped him, scratching. And, uh, I, and then I said, goodbye, Kepler. I kissed the water with my lips. And then I returned, and I, and I said, well, I'm not going to you know, let on. I said, okay, guys, I'm going to pack up and go to the sea forever. Good day. And then he said, well, I thought you were screaming goodbye, Kepalina. Please don't let me see you in Mother Naked again. I could never be attracted anymore. That has ruined it for me forever. Kelp-based nudity. Sea nudity. No more. No cold cakes and warm necks for Tom in and warm beds. And I said, in a friendship, thank you, Podman. I will say goodbye to you. I will say goodbye to you and your listeners. Hopefully I will see you again, Podman, in my room, my warm room, without my... You know, if you see you, and I will try these tricks, you. But you are a friend, Podman. Not the best friend a boy could ever have, but, you know, a good friend. So thank you for helping me make my choice. You know, because I need the life of a royal is too good for you. You know, maybe you should go live in the sea. Uh, and and, and, and I, to, I, I told him about the dream. He said, maybe I will, Tom, and your mother was you telling me. And they said, that is, no, no, I forbade you as my friend. And he said, I'm just kidding, I'm your friend, Tom, and thank you for being my friend. It has been an honor, and I hope to see you as season five, oh, I hope. But we cannot predict the future, but I can tell you, soon I will be in a warm bed, eating warm cakes, and then I will be yelled at for saying, why did you eat so many cakes in your bed, blah, 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 and I will laugh. And think of the cold sea and my mother naked. Thank you. That's time for my prayers, the old gods and the new. Crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller.
a grinder of grain, smith, melter of, you know, uh, I don't think you, smiths, the smiths practice metallurgy or what, what, do you respect metallurgists? Is that a scam or is that alchemy? Which one's a scam and which one's a science? Or are both sciences? And I'm thinking of somebody else that says, well, if you rub this uh, this piece of clay on that, it's going to turn to gold later. Trust me. Uh, just keep, pay me first. And I won't be here, but it'll work. Believe me. Which ones are those? Smith, what do you do to those guys if you catch them? Uh, anyway, Smith, uh, you know, get back to me on that. Miller Smith, uh, Crone Barky, uh, old, old, oldest of the old gods. Tonight, by the time you this prayer, well, you'll probably already know about the prayer before. You know, you know, might know about it before. But as you spread your branches, to you know, I'll be watching tonight's Game of Thrones. And seeing is Barky in it? Is the children in it? Is there more trees? Do the trees shoot lasers, or do they have some sort of tree power? Uh, is Bran inside a tree? Is is he wizened? You know, is the three-eyed raven his uh, his cool new friend? Uh, but anyway, Barky, it's not about that because this is in the present moment. Praying to you, represented in my sense of all the trees of the world and all the good good, good things. Thank you, Barky and Jester, uh, God of. Uh, you know, dudes that uh, will find out what happened in the mountain tonight too, Jester. Maybe. I don't know. Will he be a, a zombie mountain? Will I do a, my mountain imitation? No. Uh, out of respect for uh, Ray. Um, but Jester, you know, once you're the uh, – I, I, I hear spoilers about relatives of yours, but I just plug my ears and I say, well, uh, Usually I say, when I plug mirrors, I say Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. That's a TV show. I don't know if I got that from another TV show or movie or if I've just always done that. But Jester, joker of the gods, appreciator of, you know, turning a frown upside down. That's your job. As I said, Lionel Kitty City used to do that where I was from. That was the name of the competitor of Toys R Us. Didn't work out so hot for Lionel Kitty City, I don't think, but... They did have that great tagline, turn Lionel Kitty City turns a frown upside down. But that's what you do, Jester, you know. Oh, God, we're in a weird place because we're at the, you know, end of one season three. Start of a new season, season five, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, I brought you into my world because the end of, you know, my ban, self-imposed ban on fan fiction I said, well, I'm pray, you know, praying to the gods old and new is not fiction, you know, as long as I, you know, I'm doing it through my heart. So that's how I got around the, you know, my, my self-imposed fan fiction ban. I haven't read the terms of service of that because I haven't written them for the ban. But anyway, gods, I was thinking, you know, it's a time of change, time to rearrange. I don't know the rest of that song, but... uh. I was thinking, you know, we should sit down and talk. A lot of times I know I try to be, you know, a little bit of a silly goose here, Crone. You know, that might be the term you use, that silly goose. But I think it's time for some serious prayer and praying in. You know, end of season three, we're leaping ahead of season to season five. 
And, you know, a lot of times I say thank you for all the listeners and the support, but I figured I'd pray to each one of you, you know, and all of you at the same time. I don't know who to start with, though. Crone, I'll definitely finish with you. Well, Jester, I guess since you're the silliest one, I said, well, I'm going to go serious on this prayer. And, you, you know, life, uh, I, again, I get confused by these words other adults use, like irony, parody. There's Plus there's parody with a D and parody with a T-Y. One means like, uh, you know, if I get two pieces of candy and he gets two pieces of candy, but are they different types of candy? Does that work out fair? I think is one way. And then the other one, I'm not even joking, Jester. You know I'm not. It's like I, I'm not sure I have a clear understanding. Meta. And many times as people explain to me what meta is, I still can't grasp it. I'm not kidding. And then they might say, oh, that was so meta. And I say, yeah, so, so, yeah, holy cow, that was meta the hell out of me, man. That was some metallurgy in there, you know. But I, I don't know what it means. Still, I look it up, I read it, I say, oh, read the examples, and it still doesn't sink in. And those are the things in life that, you know, we can both laugh at and then cry privately. But while you laugh at us for crying, and one of the reasons I think you you laugh or other, you know, belief systems have a similar version or, you know, personality, is it's because it is kind of ridiculous. I spent, you know, I spent so much time worrying about making this podcast or what's going to happen with it making it perfect or, oh boy, something bad's going to happen. Or what, when, when, when is it, you know, how am I going to work out? How am I going to do this? I'm scared. And you, you, you have the wisdom. Self-confidence, I think, is a lot of it. And obviously when you were on the show and the actor that portrayed you, even though you're a guy, strange, I know, but, uh, a lot of confidence, you know, beard, he was, you know, uh, poet, uh, but anyway, confident for sure is uh, saying, well, none of, you know, I just got to keep doing the best I can, right? Is that, and like it's uh, in helping some people sleep. And that's all I can do. And that's ridiculous in itself that I would even worry about it because it's just like a little, it's not even a pebble in a water. It's a little grain of sand in something. I don't know. I'm not a poet like you, clearly. Uh, maybe if, uh, you know, if I had, what was it, what did you call, Elia Sand, that was your lover, right? What did you call her, though, Paramore? But it, or if I just was as smooth as you, plus, I, you know, if I was cool, but, but things didn't work out so hot, but now you're a god. I mean, I guess I, that's my what we're doing. Anyway, you know, maybe thank you for your help thus far and keeping me level and seeing the, uh, not just the humor, but the pointlessness and worry, uh, the folly of my desperate grasping, I guess. Uh, so that's, that's pretty good, huh? Did you, did you write that down, Jester? The folly of my desperate grasping for all these things. You know, they, it's just like sand in my hands, and you, you're able to laugh as I cry, and then maybe if I can hold both those things. So thank you, and, and I, you know, I guess I'm reaching out to you for ongoing help because, boy, do I need it. Holy mackerel. So that's you, Jester. You know, Barky, I'm going to jump around, you know, a little trick. So uh, Smith, I prayed a little bit. To, um, Smith, uh, Miller. You know, Miller, uh, you know, I don't know what I was going to pray to you about, so I'm going to have to think it up while I do it, but that's kind of how 
Well, Millie, you, you have to plan stuff out. You have to uh, take something. It must take a hell of a lot of, uh, I just, you run the mill and you say, hey, I'll buy. You got to be able to know if someone's going to try to sell you some crap grain or not. Or maybe you just grant, you say, well, I'll keep 20% of the grain. I'll grind it for, I'll mill it for you. But in some sense, your work uh, takes some raw material and, and, and processes it. Nowadays, they keep processing it, you know, so they can, but, but you process it and you add all this extra stuff, like it becomes more edible, more portable, more, you know, you can store it for longer. So your hard work takes something, you know, wasn't it not 100% raw material because it's already been harvested, I guess. But you also, you got to figure out, you got to probably fix the mill. You got to grease those wheels. Water crisis here, you're probably like, oh, shit. You know, you know, you probably got to buy some oxen. I don't know what you would do. You're probably, you know, since you're a god, you'd probably figure out, you would have figured out solar energy or something a long time ago, but, or geothermal, you know, maybe some steam spraying that Miller's wheel. Big wheel keeps on turning, uh, Miller. Proud Mary keeps on, I don't know, is it burning? Rolling on the river. But anyway, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be serious. And in some sense, I try to take inspiration from you, and I hope you can keep inspiring me to say, well, this is an idea. Can I keep making it better? Can I keep uh, working at it and saying, uh, uh, you know, despite my doubts about the water continuing to, you know, can I keep just toiling away at taking this idea, re- refining it? Refining it again, and then saying, "Okay, this this is now palpable for storage and eating, eating, baking. You know, baking a cake fast as they can, rolling it, patting it. But thanks to you, we couldn't roll or pat any. Well, who the hell's gonna roll some straw in freaking oats? You don't say, geez, this cake's got straw in it. I'm not eating it. But that's what people would say if it wasn't for you. This isn't even a cake. It's just straw in a pile with mud." So, um, you know, I don't, and so thank you, you know, help, please, please help me continue. And I guess in a broader sense, Jester, I should have put this out too, is uh, help all the other people out there that are trying to grind away at stuff, help them, you know, refine what their, their ideas. And a lot of them are stuck in the, the well, how the hell does this mill work? Do I want to do this? Where do I start? So can can I can you help him with that? And maybe I have a segue into the Smith's prayer. Smith, you're another toy, somebody toiling up there, and you were one of the OG new gods. I started praying to because I said, "What the hell? There's a warrior and a father up there and a Smith. That's bullshit." Because the Smiths the hardest working, and the other two are getting all this bullshit credit. You know they owe you some serious respect. And so I said, let's pull, you know, God draft. Hey, everybody, who's the sleeper god of the gods? Well, Crohn's a sleep, not a sleeper. Like one, you you, were, you said to me privately in my imagination, said, hey, I didn't even think I was going to get picked till last, you know, before the Crone. And then you picked me in the Crone. I can't believe it. Thank you. And I said, no, 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 no. Thank you. You don't realize how necessary and respected your hard work is, again, just like the Miller, who wasn't even a god till I said, uh, 
I call the the leagues that aren't even minor leagues and find me as a miller that can be, uh, you know, uh, infused with spiritual energy to become a god that's not going to, you know, screw around with it. And they, so then I said, you know, but you were easier than that, Smith. But I'm praying on behalf of my listeners and me, and thanks, and, and for help in the future. Uh, because it's like I, I could never, if, if I, there would have never been a Metal Age, Bronze Age, even a eating age, if I was, you know, back in the prehistoric times, I would have just probably eaten a lot of mud and maybe some bugs, and then that would have been it for my progeny. Well, I wouldn't have had any. And so I don't know how you do what you do with the metal, and I think you represent these ideas. People say now, oh, thinking outside the box. How about you freaking start thinking inside the uh, anvil or on the anvil, inside the, like, the, the uh, crucible uh, where fire works its magic and melts things and, and you know, these ideas. Uh, and you say, well, I'm going to take this. And I'm going to heat it up and put it through some serious stuff and then reform it, harden it, and then it'll be strong again. And that's something as confusing as it can be. We're all, we all go through these times where we feel like we're in the fire or shoved in the snow or whatever the hell you do to cool stuff down, the cold water, smashed with a hammer. Nobody likes that. I mean, oh, that's terrible, you know. And sometimes it's the ringing of the smashing or the popping of the water or the you know when the or the uh, crinkling of the fire it still goes with us. I know a lot of times I'm a little hard on myself or harsh, mean even to myself and, and you know in the past to other people too. And I think it's just that popping in my head that I haven't realized. Oh wait, I'm 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 not uh, in the fire anymore. So can you help us with that? Help us get through those times when we're being formed. And also, uh, you know, with the aftermath, uh, you know, because I think that's one of my big problems. Like, well, maybe you could just pat me, you know, especially if you got the, one of those nice iron aprons or what are they, leather, I guess. And you're like, well, not one of those scary, mean-looking smiths. Maybe one of the ones with one of those beards that doesn't have a mustache, a little, a little wispy. Maybe some glasses and, uh, you know, a little balding, you know, wispy wispy hair, too, and a nice smile. And you say, hey, hey, you're not in the fire anymore, buddy. That popping you hear, it's just, you know, remnants in your mind. I don't know, something like popping you hear is remnants in your mind. I think that's as poetic as I can get. So help us, and thank you for, uh, you know, smashing us. Uh, maybe not thank you. Well, I mean, it was necessary. And then maybe you, you're like, well, it's the work I got to do. I'm the smith. You probably don't want to do it. If, you know, if, if iron and steel could, and carbon and whatever the hell else is in there could yell, and maybe it does, you've you're, you're got a rough job. And, again, that's why I called you in. Least respect of the gods, of those gods, you know. So thanks, Smith. Barky, um, what can I say to you, man? There's so many places we could go, you know, with you. Probably why you were an old god of the, of the Andals. Were you the Andals pray to you and the first men? Or just the children? I never figured out the hell they were anyway. But anyway, you know, so much, you know, I've thanked you for. Your leaves, your branches, your, 
your fruit, your nuts, your uh, the fact you're a little bit nuts. I love saying you, Barky, and the listeners love you, Barky. I mean, no offense to the other gods, but you're the one make the the people smile. I know it. I know it. I mean, especially when they think about a dancing Groot and you. Uh, it's just amusing, and not in a mean spirited way. But you know, you clean the, you know, you deal with the CO two and the oxygen. You know, maple syrup, maple syrup candy. That's all, all on you, Barky. You know, you put up with tree swings and tree houses. You know, people putting their heads on you. You know, people will go into the bathroom behind you, hiding by. You know, or me. I guess apology. I never apologize for those. Billions of times I peed on you and your brethren. Um, you know, you, you, you do so much for us, Barky. You, you and your, you know, your tree people, and and, and as an extension, all uh, you know, plant life. Uh, I don't know what, where you're at with the animals. You know, animal, mineral, vegetable. But anyway, you, you you symbolize life, you symbolize growth, you symbolize breathing, you know, the fresh air. And, uh, you know, it's not none of that's, none of that, I guess the breathing's natural, the growing's natural. We don't have a choice. Uh, you know, I have one complaint about growing is I think my, you know, this is, you know, old gripe, but, you know, eh, never mind. I think I have an abdomen of like a six-six person. It's hard to notice when you first see me, but I have the legs of a six-foot, or five-eleven. I am person, so it's like if you would have given me the abdomen or whatever they call it, a trunk. So, but anyway, I guess I might have a hearty trunk like you, Barky. Tough to notice, but one day when I hug you, Barks. And we dance like a dancing group. So I don't know. I, there's too much to thank you for. Uh, so, you know, as much as I'd like to thank you for the lessons of growth and breath and and all that, thanks for the immune. Just thanks for making me smile, Barky. And I know, Jester, you're like, whoa, whoa, it's my turf. Different, different turf, different turf. Don't worry, guys. No need to start some sort of uh, Grecian god-type battle. We don't need the Clash of the Titans or whatever the hell. I, you know, just thanks for making a smile, Barky. Dancing Groot. Uh, what the hell is Tree Beard? Hey, I'm, I'm smiling, Barks. So thank you for that. You know, every once in a while we need a quick smile. Jester, you're more like a thoughtful, you know, smile. You know, you know you're, you got the intellectual romanticized. This is just a quick uh, say, Barky, Tree Beard. Hey, you know, Dancing Groot. So thanks, Barks. And Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, holy moly Crone. Uh, as much as I like to, you know, say your name and and, and, and give you a hard time, uh, you know, thanks, Crone. Thank you for uh, being there. Thank you for putting up with me. I guess that's a, a seriously, uh, there's those people in our lives that put up with everything we put them through. And maybe we even, you know, you know, don't know how to return their support. Well, they put up with us. We didn't even realize. We either we knew they were that close to us. They loved us so much. I guess I use the love word crone. We didn't realize that they loved us, or we weren't able to accept their love. But you, you, and we put them through hell. 
whether it's, you know, parents or friends or neighbors or, you know, plaintiffs, you know, plaintiffs mostly on my side, plaintiffs, or, you know, people we've dealt with, they, you know, there's a lot of people that put up with it and they said, and they didn't, they said, oh, well, I, well, I'm the crone. I wasn't even putting up with it. I just, and then you squeeze our cheeks and you say, oh, and I hope crone, you know, when I brought uh, Carol that shake, did I tell that story? I don't want to tell it now, but when I brought her that shake, you know, that was for you really crone. And then when I said, uh, oh, they were asking about you at the shake store, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to make fun of you or her. I was just trying to, you know, have some fun. So what can I say, Crone? I think we need, you know, help us, help me, help the listeners, accept some support, I guess. I mean, that's, I'm terrible at that, uh, letting it in and, uh, you know, open my heart. And Crone, I just need you to turn the key. If so, start, you know, whatever. The, however, the rest of the song goes, Crone. I like me and you, me, you and Madonna songs go pretty good, Crone, huh? Or was that the Maiden I was singing? I guess it was both you. Oh, there's a open your heart if you just turn the key. Watch out, watch out, Crone. So thanks, Crone, for seriously for. Uh, you know, you're, you're like that one person that acts like you're so sick of me. And then I, I say, well, you know, uh, that, thank you for, for, for that. Okay. So that's it, guys. Uh, you know, I figured, well, I tried to be to get some real prayers in there, but I guess with the whole, the whole confusion about meta threw me off and then it ended up, bookends with M words, meta and Madonna. So uh, that's it. Thank you. For, and I'll see you guys season five. I don't know what it holds for us. I mean, even though we're not in that world anymore, you know, this is kind of like the end of the that the Star Trek movie where they came to Earth because that's how this season started with you guys coming to Earth and me trying to explain to you about Snowpiercer and Whiplash and and walking and a lot of some porn talking to you guys about porn that was rough but uh all right guys i'll see you next week even though it'll be you know i don't even know how much time's passed in the world of westeros okay good night